I'm Fathery. This is Dave. This is Brian. And this is Starfleet Boy. And this is Text Trek. Engage. Welcome back aboard the Starship Texas for the 124th installment of the Text Trek podcast, the home of Star Trek fandom from deep in the heart of Texas, where we talk all about Star Trek all the time. Tonight, we are here to talk about Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 6, Scavengers, written by Anne Cofill Saunders and directed by Douglas Arianokoski. And I'll just go ahead and start things off by recapping the episode real quickly with the official synopsis, and then I'll kind of expand upon that with spoilers to summarize everything. The official synopsis reads, After receiving a message from Book, Burnham and Giorgio embark on a rogue mission to find him, leaving Saru to pick up the pieces with Admiral Vance. Uh, meanwhile, Stamets forms an unexpected bond with Adira. And just to kind of expand upon that with spoilers, uh, Giorgio and Burnham sneak into an emerald chain scavenger slave camp to recover a black box from a Starfleet ship destroyed in the burn in hopes of learning more about what could have caused that event. And while there, they also rescue Book, who has been captured by the emerald chain. Uh, Burnham gets in trouble for disobeying orders and going on an unsanctioned mission. And at the end of the episode, she is removed from the first officer position on the ship. This is uh, this is something that Burnham is very used to. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, I guess she still has some learning to do. But um, I can't yeah, we'll... believe it. I can't be- no, but this time I couldn't blame her either because book. You know, you got to go after book. <laughs> well. Uh, we're just going to each give kind of our opening statements and share our main feelings, our general reaction to the episode. Uh, I'll let uh, Dave go first, and then we'll just go around the room and I'll uh, finish up. But uh, Dave, uh, please give us your opening statement uh, on this episode. Sure. Uh, well, Father, on your behalf, I was uh, affronted with the opening scene of the repair bots. So I just wanted to let you know <laughs> that I felt your grief for you. Um <laughs> Uh, so no, this is a, this is a, as I was joking about earlier. This is a, this is a heist episode, and I kind of always like that concept. Um, but what really uh, struck me about this episode is just how much stuff happened in it. Uh, there was just so many, a lot of things that I thought might be like slow burn subplots that I wasn't really looking forward to seeing unspool slowly uh, came to a head or you know moved forward quickly. So I'm talking about, like, the Discovery got upgraded and there was, like, crew, tr- crew retraining 
basically off screen. It just like was done. Uh, George Al's uh, weird tick, whatever thing is going on, flashbacks, controlling thing, uh, brainwashing, uh, is uh, now an open secret to Burnham. Uh, let's see, Adira's uh, ghost boyfriend got uh, was was now out in the open with Stamets and and moving plot forward. You know their their friendship forward. A black box has been found. Uh, there's just there's you know uh, a lot of stuff happened uh, very quickly, and and I thought pretty efficiently. Um, uh, every once in a while, I I, I feel like um, that there's a comic writer Grant Morrison who we've talked about before, and I think we've even talked about this concept before. Where he kind of writes stories uh, that um, his plot plotting sometimes moves along and jumps uh, and lets you fill in the gap. That's kind of part of, I guess, the pleasure even of a Grant Morrison story. So you know, like I sort of wish that Book and um, Burnham had come together more naturally, and it didn't just sort of happen because they're attractive protagonists who got along. You know, who like that it didn't just jump ahead to yeah, we're ready, we're ready for this. Although, um, I guess, uh, I, I didn't want to see a year of them being bored in space, but, uh, <laughs> they're, they're almost, uh, uh moments, uh, for a year. You, but you I know there's uh, a whole series of novels we're going to get about that year someday. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just wanted to, I, I think, see it a little bit more naturally, uh, occur. Uh, that said, um, I, I was pretty, pretty darn happy with this episode. There was one specific trope that uh, annoyed the hell out of me and almost derailed it for me, but I'm going to wait and talk about it when we get to it. Uh, overall, uh, for me, one of the stronger episodes of the season, and uh, again, I'm really happy just that so much stuff happened without making it drag. Brian, what you got? Uh, yeah, I liked it a lot. Um, I noticed the show seems to definitely be shifting away from being a thinking show and more about a feeling show much more SGU and much less SG1, though without the bleakness of SGU, but it's still about the characters and their feelings. You can't um, talk about Stargate just like that. You just can't just bring it up, <laughs> Brian. That's disgusting. <laughs> well, I, 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 I would talk about Stargate anywhere, about anytime, Star anyplace. So, um, but... Uh, and but the, the more I thought about it, I realized at least this particular episode is actually kind of juxtaposing thinking versus feeling. Um, and so, at least for certainly for this episode, even if you feel like Star Trek should normally be a thinking show and not a feeling show, um, you can't. This this is a show where you're meant to think about the feelings. It's duty versus you know heroism, basically. And and all that, that that emotion that goes with the heroism juxtaposed with the necessity of duty. But unlike most other stories where it's just, well, of course, heroism is cool. Duty is lame. Uh, this this definitely tries to balance it and analyze it from both sides. So you're meant to think about the feelings. I'd also point out that everyone's favorite points in Star Trek are feel, tend to be feeling points and not thinking points. Uh, so the, the things we remember and love, the moments we remember and love, tend to be feeling and not thinking points. That's an interesting point, Brian. I, I was just going to say that I think that uh, because um, Saru in particular, that they've made him, they've decided to give him enough focus, and he, he more than, the, you, know, uh, you know, Burnham might represent that heroic impulse and emotion, and he's the sort of more thoughtful, um, you know, by-the-book guy, uh, that 
but because they've made him a sympathetic and very well-liked character, yeah, it can't just be this uh, thing where you're like, oh, I'm always going to root for the rebel, you know? Yeah. Um, and I thought they did a really good job of juxtaposing that, especially to an American audience, which is going to be so heavily programmed that Rebel is good uh, and and do, by the book is bad. Um, uh, that is baked into our culture on a fundamental level, uh, and and uh, not necessarily without reason. But but uh, you know it is it's it's an uphill climb to get the other side on the table in a meaningful way. Um, and so yeah, there was a thematically there was a lot going on in this episode um and uh i yeah i think this is my second favorite and it's probably actually better made than the uh uh objectively a better made uh episode than the the one where they go to trip the trail planet uh, uh to trail but i that one had all the tropes i love so that's still my favorite but this is my <laughs> second favorite cool well so hell what about you can you give us your opening statement yeah uh I think this episode um, at once exhilarated me and frightened me uh, in the sense that, like, I really enjoyed uh, elements of it, like the the Discovery refit and all the explosions, like PJ said in the audience and uh, and, and, you know, things like that. I just, like, was really thrilled by it. But it also felt like kind of I'm waiting for Unification Part 3 and I don't really care what happens anymore about this episode so that's kind of where i'm at with this one well, it was all about the cares <laughs> it's called unification three by the way there's no part oh sorry unification three uh, i love to correct people on the star trek well, if you don't have anything else to say then i'll uh i'll just go ahead and, and round it off but uh, I, I was a little cranky with last week's episode which most people seem to really love and you know, I, I, I don't know if people were just kind of, like, blown away by, like, all, like, the, the, the ship porn at the beginning of last week's episode and, like, meeting the new Starfleet HQ because a lot of people also said, well, that Seed story was kind of boring, though. But, yeah, that was 80% of the episode. <laughs> so uh, that was the reason why I had problems last week. And uh, I, I, I am much happier this week, though, than I was last week. Uh, I'm going to be praising this episode. Uh, I, I loved it. Um this this one is kind of an example of what I want the show to be doing as far as like storytelling uh, format. I like my serialized shows to still have uh, these episodes that kind of can stand apart. That uh, they're you know streamlined, not as clunky as they were last week. They have a self-contained story that's a satisfying episode, but can also move along a larger season arc, kind of like that Joss Whedon Buffy model. Uh, that's what I'm always wanting out of serialized TV. Uh, this is, you know, like the, the approach that I want discovery to do. And, uh, that being said, there was some great character moments in this episode. I love the stuff with, uh, Tilly and Adira and Colbert and Stamets, and we got more gray. So I was happy to see more of him. Uh, we didn't get any of him last week and I, I kind of missed that. So, uh, there's some good Captain Saru stuff. Admiral Vance has grown on me. There is some more Deep Space Nine love. Uh, this week so I, th I think there must be a few more niners in the writer's room on discovery uh -huh. this year than in the previous two seasons the ship upgrades were cool uh linus struggling with the mobile transporter was funny and i guess like my biggest complaint was that it was a little heavy on the emotion during that final burnham and saru scene but you know that's that's disco for you they're gonna like over emotionalize uh, stuff um and and uh -huh. everyone's gonna gonna cry and the music's uh -huh. gonna swell and 
it'll 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 bore me to tears and i'll start crying too but yeah so that's <laughs> that's uh that's kind of like my reaction I, I, overall like extremely positive i have like three or four little uh nitpicks you know minor things but of course i'm always gonna come up with those in any new addition to star trek it just it wasn't a very uh original story there's there's not many concepts in here that i, I would say are like very like unique or original it's a lot of stuff we've seen you know played out and it just genre tropes in general but uh i'll i'll say that the the execution of all of it was was spot on so even though the the the, the concepts were not uh entirely new it's just i i like the way everything was was pulled off father i assume that you uh when they mentioned the uh self-stealing uh stealing stem bolts that uh Bodrek, uh just mentioned down there uh, that that's actually what brought a tear to your eye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think about self-sealing stumbles uh, more than than anyone should. So, but yeah, with that being said, uh, we're just going to go ahead and uh, kind of break the episode down scene by scene and share our thoughts on all of it in detail. And anyone checking us out live, you're encouraged to share your opinions in in the chat as well. But I'll go ahead and uh, just start at the beginning. You Yay. know, we kick off with the uh, the dot seven. <laughs> I guess two generations of dot sevens. We have like the uh, the one from Discovery and the one from the future, and it kind of shows how dumb it was to put these things in the Discovery era when it, it's like, oh yeah, it fits so well with this thing that's supposed to be a thousand years in the future. But are those uh, like the dot seven Js? <laughs> yeah, we'll say it's a dot seven J. But yeah, they're <laughs> they're refitting the ship. It has an A on the registry number now. Uh, the NCC 1031A Discovery A, even though it's the oh, same I hadn't ship. That. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's I think well, that was kind of dumb, tw- but someone tw- when, on Twitter uh, you know, had when a they good the, when they detach oh. the nacelles, you get an A. <laughs> well, or, someone well, on Twitter I'll, had I'll, a good a good explanation, which is maybe um, maybe because the Discovery was declared destroyed, they had to call it the A so that it wouldn't like so that it, the computer will accept it as a new registry number well ho- hold exactly. on we can, we can talk about the ship in a, in a little bit but all right, all right yeah just um just to go ahead and like recap like this opening you know we have the, like the refitted ship the detached nacelles and also everyone has like new com badges they're uh tricorders transporters communicators everything it's like an all-in-one so everyone gets uh gets a new com badge we get the proto matter interfaces on the uh consoles and we also have a. Uh, Did you say proto meeting. matter? I know you meant programmable matter. <laughs> or programmable matter? Yeah. What's, uh, no, not Don't proto matter. Let proto matter in there. <laughs> Someone's been watching the expanse. Whoops. Too much. <laughs> no, that's the proto molecule. Proto matter oh, is from Star true. Trek Three. But oh, the, that's I right. Guess the, that's right. The expanse ripped that off. But, uh, that's okay. I'll, everyone can stand on the, the shoulders of Star Trek. Uh, yes. <laughs> but. We have this meeting with uh, Admiral Vance where he's he has like a collection of ship captains, so it's kind of cool to see all of them. And he's basically saying that you know uh, we have some some peace talks that might go bad on this planet, and it could be a sticky situation. So Captain Saru, I need you on standby because you have the ship that can just go over there at a moment's notice. So, uh, what did y'all think about like the the opening with the the ship upgrades and then with the uh, with with the admiral and and the setup with that stuff? Well, as Dave I think alluded to, I I like that they had that three they slip in that three weeks worth of time, which might just be to justify the ship looking a little different. But uh, it looks a lot the, different. 
but yeah, I haven't. Uh, admittedly, since the ship didn't get to go out and do adventuring, I I didn't really have much of a ch- chance to see. But... It looks like yeah, it looks like they put it through a Tron filter. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah, it does yeah, have a very right. like, it's Tron on the grid. Uh, I, I love I, Tron though. I love Tron, and I yeah, love Tron too. Legacy. So I'm actually okay. like happy with this design and like the <laughs> like the pizza cutter uh, like spinning saucer on the Discovery. That's like that Tron disc that they duel with. Love it or hate, <laughs> love it or hate it. Whatever you think. I was just glad that she got a refit. It just wouldn't have made sense to me that the Discovery would not get a refit. So I was very happy about it. I, I was hoping yeah. for a refit. Yes, they're not Discovery I, I... shuttles. They're, we see like shuttlecraft that aren't Discovery shuttles. I was so happy about that because I hated seeing the, those things in Picard. So uh, I think it would have been hilarious if Michael was like, "What do you know? Thirty-second century shuttles look just like ours." <laughs> you can't um, approve a good design. But uh, yeah, you know, the, was... the idea that yes, they're going to need some time to train and <laughs> and get used to this new material. I assume the new ship has a proper holodeck on it. Uh, oh yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, you know proper food replicators now. And or well, just replicators in general. The point is, you don't need a machine replicator and a food replicator. You just have one replicator that does everything. They're uh, gonna freak out to get a holodeck if they get one. Yeah, you know, I mean, we a... sort of see something like that in season one, but I, I assume it's probably very inferior to what we've got in the thirty-second century. The text on the ship is in black instead of white. Like it should well, be, that... it should be black. The text on the ship is black instead of white. Hmm. Oh, okay. Um, I do. I, I have a question. Why spend a bunch of time upgrading the warp drive? And maybe it's just push a button and the uh, the matter goes in there and upgrades it. And if it's mm-hmm. that easy, then sure, why not? But this ship, it used to be you'd use warp drive instead of spore drive because warp drive was easier than spore drive. And if you weren't in a hurry, but now warp drive costs to lithium spore drive is essentially free, relatively speaking. <laughs> so it's actually why, when is Vo- discovery going to be using their warp drive, except as an emergency Any, backup. Anytime Stamets is incapacitated. Well, yeah, as an emergency so. backup. Uh, and so I don't know, but I guess it, it depends on how much this warp drive, if they have, I mean, I would, up, I would upgrade your warp drive before installing a holodeck. Yeah, I assume that that's like just a baseline thing for a starship at this point is like they're they're they're, but have they said like how much warping goes on these days? Like, well, yeah, is it it a transwarp drive or is it a well, it's (laughs) not transwarp. They they should be using quantum slipstream. Yeah, it could be some sort of quantum slipstream. That's what I I assume books ship is using. But fathery, there was um there was an exchange on the bridge that uh, that I thought sort of summed up the the new look and all of those stuff. Somebody said, do we really need all this? And then the other excited crew member is like, hell yeah, we do. Yeah. Uh, that was uh, <laughs> well, I'll talk about that in, in a second, but I, I also want to comment that we got some good looks at the enterprise J also in this episode. I mean, enterprise J the Voyager J uh, we actually uh-huh. get to see on uh-huh. one of uh-huh. the, uh, the computer consoles. So in, in Admiral Vance's office area, so I was like happy to like finally get an idea of like the the shape of that ship, and it also has detached or detached nacelles. So I guess that's just kind of the standard. But mm-hmm. no, I, I complained about not getting like a good look at like the. I want to at least see like the outline, the shape of it. So I guess they were like, oh, we can just like stick it on a computer display, and that'll like shut up some wild people. Eagle Moss. Wild looking. Poor yeah. Eagle Moss are pulling their hair out trying to figure out how they're going to do detached nacelles. <laughs> Pretty easily, you just put some clear plastic on there. 
Yeah, but it's still not going to look exactly like it should. Um, I, From a technical point of view, I mean, they've established that the, the way your ship's hull is and the and the ratios of ma- of sh- of the mass to v- in various places changes how efficient your warp drive is. So I could see why detached nacelles, which can adjust themselves at various speeds, would no doubt save a lot on fuel and perhaps save on dilithium, which would could be very important in this day and age. I do. I'm not entirely clear how you get the warp plasma from the reactor into the nacelle, unless they each ha- each nacelle has its own matter antimatter tank. It's Wi-Fi and plasma built. I think huh? it's just, it's just Wi-Fi plasma. I, I was going to steal wireless. Yo- <laughs> I was going to steal uh, Joseph Patrick's joke, which is it's Bluetooth. Is it <laughs> yeah. like? Is it some like? Do they do some sort of uh, convert it into an energy beam and like a transporter beam and just shoot? beam the plasma over. me and antonia with our phones like i can charge her phone with my phone it's like tesla stuff yeah <laughs> but that's an, an incredible amount of energy i'm assuming it's some sort of transporter tech because doing a doctor who dimensional door thing feels even though they should have bigger on the inside than on the outside ships feels a little off for the starfleet that they are building but um, though if you did have dimensional door tech, then yeah, you could just have that connect the, the nacelles and run the plasma through that. Um, but yeah, that, that is a question I, I would like to have answered at some point. I don't know if the show ever will, but maybe some it, it, ancillary material will explain it. Um, I did want to know, they go to the trouble all this uh, to refit everything else, and yet they keep the old uniforms. That struck me as an odd choice. That bothered me. I would, I would rather I would rather up date your uniforms than the uh than the the ship but uh, i'm hoping we I get there eventually you can have gonna, both <laughs> i mean I there's replicators they're gonna bring right? uh excitement and uh, optimism to their future and uh that there will be a, a like a line-wide uniform change after yeah. you know the spore drive reconnects humanity or something like that mm. because the the look of the uh the starfleet look is not so different from theirs that i really would be excited to see the change yeah. uh, i'd rather see a bigger change well, I, I just, from a point, a logical point of view, why not change the uniforms? It would be the cheapest, easiest thing to change in all of the changes that they have made. So, <laughs> well, from from a real life production standpoint, because like they they custom make these two of these uniforms for all like the main characters. Uh. They have one for when they're sitting and one for when they're standing up, and it's <laughs> it's really expensive to to do that so that's you really have to they have them change their clothes when they have to go to sitting scenes yeah i did not yeah know that. oscar isaacs <laughs> talked about that maybe wow. uh what i was thinking was that that in story there's something of a reason to keep it around in that this is an unusual crew they're kind of like a out of time legacy crew a special missions kind of group and you might want to actually visually cite that yeah but they also kind of suggest that they want to keep it under wraps that they have like this like weird ship from the past (laughs) and so it's weird like oh let's have them all walk around in vintage uniforms (laughs) yeah yeah, it's just just inconvenient for like the production of the show like the 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 only reasons it's just kind of inconvenient for the production of the show i don't think there's an in-universe i mean you can you can construct one but uh i mean sure you can you can explain anything if if you're good enough it could be that they are symbolically waiting till Starfleet proves itself to Discovery and Discovery proves itself to Starfleet before they unify symbolically with a matching uniforms and that that's a story beat 
it would be lovely to have a line like that somewhere, like something just thrown in there, because I like that. Well, I don't, you don't want to say that out loud in the episode. That's a visual symbol symbolism that you I guess you, so, you yeah. have as subtext in the story. I, I think it would be a little weird if they're saying, well, until the Admiral yeah. likes us a bunch and we like the Admiral, <laughs> we're not putting not on a clean shirt. Uniforms. Yeah, well, enough, not... enough about uniforms. Let's, let's move on. We have... Uh, <laughs> You know, Detmer Dave is the one who said, like, do we really need all this? And that was, like, one of my nitpicks about the episode was that, uh, like, I just hate her still having, like, her weird, like, PTSD stuff. And it's, like, she's, like, scared of, like, the programmable matter or something. Yeah, oh, I thought you were going to argue, Father, because she herself is, you know, clearly exists as a, as an upgraded person, that she would be the last person to do that. But, yeah, I guess <laughs> I hadn't even thought about the PTSD thing. I thought it was really just, like... It almost could have been any crew members. It was just, you know, to show the excitement. I'm sure you're right, though, that it was supposed to be her reticence. But they also set up the gag of Linus not being able to, to work his, his transporter. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> One is a little bit um, Kelvin-verse, but I, th I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> there, there were two times in the episode when uh, Shtick, I guess, threatened to kind of uh, annoy me or bad tropes. And his was one of them when he interrupts Burnham and uh, Book later on. But because they did the smart thing and did not let it truly interrupt them, I, I was like, okay, I can, I'm rolling with it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I felt the same way. I, I laughed, but I was also like, are they going to derail things over this stupid, with this stupid gag? And oh, no, it didn't actually derail anything. Nice. So, Well, the meeting with the Admiral, one thing I want to point out is that we actually see our first canonical Starfleet Cardassian. I really wish that we got a, a close-up of her, but yeah, one of these captains appears to be a Cardassian woman. I was looking at the, uh, the recap on uh, Memory Alpha, and they mentioned one of the ships. I don't know if this had been mentioned in a previous episode, previous episode was called the Le Guin. Yeah, uh, that, saving that, that for I, the Gorneggs. Yeah, that's cool. I just wanted, I didn't know if she was the pilot of that or not, or the captain, rather. No, that was uh, a captain by the, the human woman. But yeah, they have like the ugly octopus head from Discovery that I hate the like design that I was like, why did you give a close up to that one and not the uh, not, not the Cardassian? That's a super cool special effect, Father. Why would you why would you not want to see it? it just yeah. it looks it looks too weird and complicated for Star Trek. No, I see like a Rorschach painting. I don't see an octopus. Jeez, Father, like... they're going to bring one Andorian into the crew, and you're already panicking. Yet, you, know, <laughs> you, you really don't like those new life and new civilizations, <laughs> do you? I don't like this one. <laughs> I need a, I need my thousandth Bajoran. <laughs> yeah, it's it's called using the canon, using the using the existing universe. They're getting there. They're getting there. <laughs> but it was it was cool to see like a little bit more of the fleet. But yeah, so they they just have like the the setup here of um, there's the planet uh, Argeth that the the admiral says you know we're dealing with the Emerald Chain there. I guess like the Emerald Chain is kind of like what the Klingons were of the original series. It's kind of what Emerald Chain is in season three of Discovery. It's like you're just like general bad guy people, like specifically more the kind of skeevy pirates than uh, than than they are like a uh, military big military power, right? Or maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, well, I, I like that they didn't just default to the Orion Crime Syndicate. They they yeah. upgraded it. You know, a thousand years later, it should be like a, something a little different. So I thought, I thought that chain was smart. Is, it's such a cool name. Turquoise chain would make more sense to me because they're <laughs> blue and green. But <laughs> well, they did imply that only in some areas are they Orions. Yeah, and, yeah, and, that is that is their name in their sector is yeah. kind of how they explained it. Well, 
let's move on. We have uh, Book's ship shows up mm-hmm. with Grudge the cat. Yeah, they, they get a holographic message from uh, Book. He says that, oh, he ran into someone who was talking about one of these black boxes. I think he probably was looking for it because he's sweet on Burnham. But he's disappeared for weeks. You know, he never leaves his cat. So Burnham is like, oh, there must be something weird going on. You know, I have the, his ship program to take his cat here. And he, you know, he says, just, just wait for him and he'll show up. But, you know, I'm nervous. I think I need to go rescue him. And Saru shuts her down. He's like, no, you can't do that. You know, we have orders from the Admiral. We're on standby. I need my first officer. You can't go. Uh, so, of course, being Burnham, she disobeys orders, goes to Giorgio, because she knows Giorgio is the one person who would join her on an unsanctioned mission. And the uh, the two of them take Book's ship. They set a course for his uh, his location on a planet called uh, Hunhow. They have some some witty banter on, on the ship. They, they kind of talk about... Uh, we learn some more information about Burnham and Book's relationship. And Giorgio is having like more of her freak out moments. They set up at the end of the episode last week. We, we find out when she goes in like this catatonic state, she's actually having like these weird uh, flashbacks that we'll, you know, we'll talk about, but it, yeah, it looks like, you know, stuff from the, the mirror universe. So, you know, what, what do y'all think about, uh, about the stuff, the, uh, the arrival of grudge and the, uh, kickoff of of burnham and georgia's unsanctioned mission i i loved it they open with a big grudge right there on the screen and tilly's the only one i think that's grudge you know uh, it's something small but her line delivery on that was really funny to me yeah yeah (laughs) um so i thought that was a great a fun way to bring the ship uh and and uh, to bring the herald call to adventure into the script so yeah they have a lot of fun with the cat you know, I, I was trying to think, although they have, uh, let's see, Data had a cat. Uh, what What are the other, like, is there anybody who, uh, uh, like, other than guest appearances has had a cat on Star Trek? Um, Barkley in Voyager has a cat named Neelix. But Barkley, I, I know he had, plays a more prominent role in, in the, like, the last season or whatever, but uh, do we do we see much of that? Gary cat? Seven had a cat. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Isis is probably, like, yeah. the, the yeah, most iconic Yeah, I was trying to think beyond one-shots. What I was noticing is that Tilly uh, was like, oh, you know, she's like, I'm not a cat person. And I'm like, have they, and I know that uh, Brent Spiner, the actor, was not a cat person, though he was portraying Data, who was ish. Um, uh, have they had somebody? I, I want, I need somebody in there who like straight up loves cats. I <laughs> like think his name. They, is there's Cleveland a way of interacting Booker. with cats that people who don't interact with cats much don't quite get. Uh, the way she was like kind of holding him at arm's length, and I was like, eh, you don't really want to do that like that too much. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think I think Cleveland Booker is your guy who who loves cats. He, yeah, yeah. He I need. To, I guess cat. I need to see more of that. I need to see more uh, book and uh, book and cat. Yeah. Uh, Michael Burnham outlines how she thinks she can use these black boxes to triangulate the source, the yeah. the or, point of origin of the burn. And I found myself very conflicted over that revelation. On one hand, this seems like the sort of thing that after 120 years, Starfleet would have looked into. It would be one of the first things. It was one of the thoughts I had when we first learned about the burn. It was, ah, I wonder if there's if they managed to pinpoint a source for it. And if, if there was a shockwave like in Star Trek uh, 6, you know, even if it was an invisible shockwave. And um, 
So on one hand, it seems really odd that, that that Starfleet hasn't looked into this and that there should be loads of sensors that and recording devices that just happen to be pointed at the starships when they blew up. So there should be loads of telemetry data about when these ships blew up, which I would, maybe that's not precise enough. Maybe you need to know down to the microsecond. Maybe it takes, you know, up to 20 microseconds for a ship to blow up after it's dilithium burns out. So on one hand, the technical mind, it was like, is, that seems a little obvious that they haven't, nobody's tried this before. And the Admiral sort of indicates that nobody has, or at least no one succeeded the way Michael's succeeding. And again, that raises questions. On the other hand, if Michael had said she was collecting uh, delta particles from the Hull's muon contrafabulation matrix to triangulate the location of the pulse then we could say, well, that's something clever that maybe only Michael could think of doing, but it also is complete bullshit to the audience and means nothing. <laughs> so do you want Starfleet to be really clever and smart, or do you want them to use real science? It's very hard to do both simultaneously because you can't just stop and do a science, a deep, deep dive into science in your show. Uh, nobody wants to see, well, I want to see that, but most people yeah, don't want to see I, that. I don't. It is super weird that, until Burnham tr- wants to investigate, there's no real leads in 120 yep. years. Well, like, it took her um, a year to get three black boxes. And, like, no right. one else has done that. In 120 years, no one else got three black boxes. It, yeah. it bugged me. It bugged me. But <laughs> like, on the other hand, would you have preferred it if it had been quantum, 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 uh, as as far as the clever way that Michael comes up with to do this? Well, they get the writers get a lot of leeway to come up with. They can, they can come yeah. up with better stuff. It's not like... Either a dumb gobbledygook explanation or a uh, like a dumb Kelvin verse style explanation. Like, I, I guarantee you that a significant faction percentage of the audience doesn't even understand the techno babble, the science, the real science techno babble of triangulating some based off of the timing of the explosions. Uh, given the explanation that was the lack of explanation in the show, I wish there was a better reason that that Burnham was the somehow a crux. Or, or, you know, had some insight that people in 120 years of Starfleet, presumably still being smart, no matter how mm. scattered they are, uh, couldn't come up with. So so I wish there was something that was uniquely Burnham about this. Okay. You would wish it had a personal connection. Well, I think right. last season they were constantly studying the sphere data. Burnham, uh, Arium, and I forget who else. Tilly, maybe. No, and Non, maybe even. So why couldn't there be like a, a, a oh, situation yeah, if, where... If, it, if the if the sphere data is what pointed them in the right direction, which none of these Starfleet people would have had access to over the last yeah. 20 years, it would have been that would make would a ton of something. sense. Yeah, yep. I think yeah. Starfleet boy Starfleet boy has the the alternative of what. Yeah, they yeah, I like that. Again, I mean that would have made expl- explained why nobody thought of it in 120 years, but we'd still almost certainly be in the quantum 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 is the actual <laughs> trick right. that we are going to be using. Then I want um, quantum quantum but... quantum. I'm I'm in that. I'm voting for that. <laughs> okay. See, I see. I think I'd rather have Star Trek have some real science in it, even if it means that we have our Starfleet officers looking a little dumb. Or to I don't know. To, is is know, triangulation real science when you're a thousand years in the future? <laughs> Something uh, that was yeah, done no, hundred years if ago. You, if you can figure out the timing of those explosions, then you know. But a, a, why any, wouldn't Starfleet anybody have done with that? a good sense of math is going to be able to figure out where the triangulation triangulate that? It's nice that it's an actual trick that would actually work. It's just perhaps too simple, but. Um, 
Yeah, I guess they've just been, like, too busy, like, trying to, like, get their ships into one place and being kicked off of all these planets and having to deal with Emerald Chain. Because the Admiral does say later, the Admiral does say, like, yeah, like, that's actually, like, a really good thing that you got this black box. Like, it was worth the risk. Yeah, and it could be that if the if the time between the crystal switching off and the ship exploding is a bit variable, then you wouldn't be able to measure it. Like if it's it could be between one and ten microseconds, and so then what you need is literally the recording of the ship's status uh, on the black box. And antimatter, let's face it, antimatter explosions are going to blow your black box up. <laughs> antimatter bombs, you know, well, all that antimatter going up is going to blow it's up. It's in the far future. Box. They they have a way to like shield your black box, I think. Uh, well, no, that's the thing. It, it makes more sense if you can't. These are the very few lucky black boxes that survived, and that's why Starfleet hasn't been able to do it, is because 99.9% of all the black boxes got cooked uh, and probably liquefied yeah. by the I guess, exploding I, I suppose it's possible that like Burnham as a um courier had access to more access to travel or yeah to, to certain parts of the the galaxy perhaps that the rest of starfleet couldn't get to and that's why she was able yeah. to find them let's talk about like this banter between giorgio and burnham on on the uh the ship on their way to uh hanhal uh because i i really like this uh giorgio i love the way they write giorgio in season three she's still evil but like they they find a way to like make her function in the in the show mostly i think i loved her like uh calling book the blob whisperer she like brings up tyler she's like oh i can understand like after that disastrous relationship with tyler why you didn't want to like i guess hop into bed with this guy she's such a bitch yeah i loved her (laughs) i loved her oh you fell for him like a two-year-old on the edge yeah a two-year-old on the edge of a wall um that is some dark <laughs> dark stuff there man but i guess i guess it makes a little bit more sense now that we know that like burnham and book weren't boning because of, she had her own ship so they weren't like you know living together in close quarters uh, so that makes it more believable to me uh, I, i'm kind of glad they they cleared that up yeah yeah it's a little hard to imagine otherwise <laughs> and the, the freudian slip of when she says i never loved here instead of lived here yeah. i didn't actually notice it when i was listening she did indeed say that yeah I assume yeah. she did. And then in these these Ooh. flashbacks, uh, I just want to talk about like all the images we see throughout the episode. There's um, a, what appears to be someone, a masked individual, uh, laying on on the ground uh, with a, a bloody wound on their chest. Giorgio's hand covered in blood, a bloody dagger next to the body, and uh, Giorgio, you know, clearly upset. She's she's saying uh, "San," like kind of like Sam, but with an N. I don't know mm. if there's like a character named San who like she stabbed or somebody stabbed and and then just to remind us or just clarify it's from the mirror universe they show us like some mirror universe images we see like a Terran Empire badge and the death of Lorca and Emperor Giorgio as she appeared in the mirror universe so what what do y'all think about this I I know Trek on the Tube our friend Trek on the Tube said that this looks like a Black Panther it's like the the MCU mm-hmm. T'Challa mask on, on this dead oh, person. <laughs> Someone yep. here said it could be a Red Angel suit of the Mirror Universe. Oh my I god. That was interesting. Uh, it better not be. Uh, but... I think it's going to be I think it's going to be all surprise little of things that we could that we can glean. So to me it's I don't this is another one of those sort of this is, I'm kind of with you Father Ian that the the sort of the mystery here isn't one that particularly intrigues me. Uh 
uh, I've, you know, it's 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 a pretty common trick in, or trope in movies to do these sort of flashes that you can't interpret until the end of the end of the story. Uh, yeah, they did but that there, there is stuff we can learn from it. There is stuff we can learn from. It. It's like she seemed upset at the death of someone. Like I was thinking, I was wondering if uh, the character Kovitch that debriefed her previously, you know, he he pointed out, oh, like you know, we know why Terrans are evil, and you know, there's something uh, there's there's something weird in your DNA that. Yeah, I, I so I'm wondering if if up. he like um if he like clockwork oranged her and like <laughs> he's like I'm I'm gonna like fix your brain so now like you feel remorse, you feel guilt. <laughs> And like but that's ex- this is like that that's stuff exactly starting to the words I used while I was watching it is oh did they clockwork oranger <laughs> yeah uh, and, that, I think that's that's actually a plot point that I would like uh, where if she had that came tumbling down and she was basically being confronted with her own sins in a way or yeah something. as long as like the, I, I'd be that would kind of make sense if they're more than likely spending some time this season setting her up for her own show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why we haven't heard much about the Section 31 show recently is because they don't want to give away stuff from this season of Discovery. But I, right. maybe maybe they will do that to kind of like kind of explain her being a, a good guy a little bit more easier. Uh, however, like I don't want her to lose her like asshole personality that I was just talking about. How like I really enjoyed her being such a I don't dick think that's to, going to away. Burn home. Yeah, yeah. So as long as long as she can keep that, I'm I'm okay with it. Cronenberg's interrogation, yeah, that they that they kind of made a point to mention stuff about the mirror universe that really didn't serve a screen purpose if it wasn't setting something up. You know, the travel to and from the what did they call it, like a chimerical uh, like gene or something like that that caused uh, the mirror effect. Yeah. Uh, like it, it makes sense that there is something very specific to that, and maybe yeah, they have you know tech that's unraveling that gene or something, although. Uh, I, 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 there's an interesting morality question to be had there about is it uh, is it cool to just go and start scrambling someone's DNA there uh, yeah. without their he, he seemed like a guy who might be okay with it though yeah yeah well he's uh, <laughs> section thirty one so um, maybe but, uh, let's just go ahead maybe. and move on to the arrival at uh, Hunhow. There's a big fleet, a big ship graveyard in orbit of of the planet. Um, they've set up some type of you know, scrapyard there that's ran by uh, Osira, the the character we've heard about before. Osira, some type of crime lord, I guess, has a uh, nephew who uh, kind of looked like like Brainiac Five to me or something. But yeah, this green Orion dude. He looks like a green version of evil Tobey Maguire in Spider Man Three. Giorgio says that you know she's here at a shop for scrap, and Burnham is her servant. And they they beam down, start looking around for uh, parts and stuff. And Burnham's using the the grudge cat collar that is supposed to to track the cat. She reverse engineer it to track the cat owner. And they find uh, Book uh, slaving away as as one of these forced workers of the the camp. There's an Endorian man named Ren who's kind of the pariah. They plant suicide squad bombs in everyone's neck and they make him be the bomb planner because he was like he was like like the union organizer he's like building a resistance and so they're like okay we're gonna cut off your antenna and make everyone hate you you're the bomb and planner now and there's a uh, bajoran guy named lie who ends up getting a he gets his head blown off to demonstrate what happens with these suicide squad bombs they make him make a run for it and when he passes the perimeter boom his head explodes uh yeah that was really 
also also uh orion toby Maguire is a classic uh i don't know if i can say a curse word on here but an f boy is what the kids call yeah him. you can say you can say f boy um yeah he's, he's, he's totally an f boy <laughs> I, I also yeah. really like like the tension when when burnham and book first see each other but they they have to like you know be sneaky and not like acknowledge each other and, you know, they're they like in an old uh, period piece uh, uh, sort of movie. Some Victorian people who can't say it. Well, what, what do y'all think about this stuff? About the the, the rival here? Just kind of like everything in general before we get to the jailbreak. What, what do y'all yeah. think about this? I, I love that she called him a meat sack. Meat sack, yeah. This, this was the strongest part of the episode for me. This was my favorite part. This might be kind of this might be kind of obscure too, but like he kind of he has like the the Brainiac logo that I I think was invented for like the what? '90s Superman cartoon the the no three way. circles, but like the comics and the other Smallville used it. No, no, like oh, you're right. Jeff Johns, Gary that. Frank stuff used it. So he <laughs> he he doesn't look like exactly like 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 Brainiac the first, but he might be like uh, one of the real <laughs> like he might be like Brainiac three or Brainiac five. Fathery, uh, did, did did this strike you as like a an Amazon processing plant? That they were <laughs> yeah, this is this is like Jeff Bezos has all of his employees like uh, like working in these conditions. So. <laughs> because if it is, then uh, then uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, George Al's uh, final uh, final words to it become uh, really much more uh, much more entertaining. Yeah, um, and the the Sandorian Wren is actually played by uh, Tilly actress. Uh, Mary Wiseman's husband. Oh yeah, oh, I saw that on he, Twitter. What a cool, crazy and thing! He is a huge Star Trek fan. He's 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 a a big Trek nerd. Like like she talked about how when she got the job, it was before they were married. Uh, but she, I remember her telling the story before Discovery ever came out. You know, it's some early early interview with her. How when she got the news she was hired, she was so excited, and she really wanted to tell her boyfriend and her boyfriend's dad because they were big time Trekkies, and she wasn't allowed to tell anyone. And how like that was oh, like, wow, <laughs> that's a tough secret to keep. Yeah, um, <laughs> he made a video on his Twitter. You got to you got to go check it out. It's like it's every fan's dream come true for real. Like you should go check it out. Yeah, everyone go go check that out. But. I did love the production values of the exterior and interior sets uh, or set dressing of a real locale. Whatever they did, it looked gorgeous. It looked exactly like a future spacey scrapyard. I have a complaint with it. And that is oh, like yeah? all of, not all, but most of the Starfleet tech that we see laying around is all stuff from the Discovery era from back in the the 2250s so i would have wished they had like a little bit more like tng era or like you know show like a a old uh excelsior class uh you know floating around in that debris field or show like the copy and paste ship from the picard season finale uh, mm-hmm. Just don't make it all from like the time period these people like literally just came from. Probably an issue of cheapness <laughs> and the fact that most people aren't going to be scrutinizing these ships. These, yeah. but these this beat is up old this is the franchise much. where people are most likely to scrutinize stuff. Like I'm just saying, like the other Star franchise with their current live action show would have gotten that right. So I'm asking Star <laughs> Trek to yeah. to uh, you know rise up to the challenge and, Step and it up, hold Star themselves Trek. like the same standard. <laughs> See, whenever they shone a light on the scrap, it was not 23rd century scrap. It was <laughs> com badges from later. It was phasers from laser. It was stem, stem bolts. Uh, you know, anytime they, they showed a spotlight on the scrap, it was not 23rd century Or sometimes century it was scrap. like modern day PC fans that I, I saw 
a little bit. But Father, a uh, trek on the tube says of the uh, nephew guy uh, running the place. Uh, he looks like he could be a douche vampire in what we do in shadows. <laughs> yeah, well, I haven't watched that movie or show, but I've heard good things. I know uh, Trek on the really Tube being a, a fellow Kiwi of a uh, of a uh, Taika Watiti, uh, yeah. probably like grew up as neighbors or something. By the way, Father, um, you you were talking about uh, our impressions. Uh, Rin as a character was very tropey to me, and I wasn't super yeah. into his character. Yeah, everything tropey was tropey stuff. though. This whole episode was very tropey. That's true, but but I like there there are certain tropes that still that work, you know, an un, an oppressed underdog character I can kind of always get behind. I think he looks kind of cool. I like his uh, haggard, long haired appearance. It's not something we get to see too often with Orion's or a beard. Endorians, uh, and it looks like he's gonna make it uh, into the supporting cast maybe somehow, or at least another episode or yeah. two. So. I'm actually, I'm actually kind of excited to see just a, another uh, alien. I, I'd like to them. see more of them, and I'd like to see his antennae restored. Uh, we know from Enterprise so? that if they're cut off, they can grow back in nine months with proper care. So apparently, like mm. he wasn't getting no proper care as a as a he is now labor slave. But uh, they probably just kept them trimmed every time they started to come back. Yeah, or like the, or like they cut it off with like and like burnt it with like some acid to keep it from growing back. Oh my or... god, this is turning <laughs> It'd horrible. It'd be cool if he gets a shave and a haircut, looks really proper, gets in a Starfleet uniform or a you know non commission uniform. He could be something. the guy who brings the Andorians back. Like maybe like Emerald mm. Chain gets defeated, and he's the guy who like ushers them back into the Federation. I kind of want him to stay like a long-haired shaman-looking dude. (laughs) (laughs) He could be a descendant of uh, of Shran or something like that. Maybe who knows? And any any comments on like the the book and Burnham? You know when they're they're reunited. I I kind of like that moment when they just like they they hug each other. They hug. Yeah, it was cool. Book is like, why did you come? I sent you a passive passive hologram telling you not to come. I'll get out of here on my own. I like that he's like that confident. He's like, yeah, I'm just. I guess I'm going to be a slave for a little bit, but I'll I'll smart my way out of it i always do yeah uh no i i I thought it was very well executed i like that they both played it cool and nobody was like oh look it's the other guy i'm looking for you know they're all just glancing at each other they actually yeah managed to play the subtlety that they would have had to in in the situation and jeff russo's score i I noticed the 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 music here it, it really helped elevate the tension a little bit also um i thought that was pretty he straight up dropped discovery theme later on uh when uh Oh, what's that guy's name? Rin? Is that what it was? Yeah, Rin is the Endorian. Yeah, when uh, when uh, Book is like giving him a sort of inspirational speech, they they gave him the discovery theme in there. I noticed. Mm. Well, let's go ahead and talk about the the prison break itself, and I'll just uh, this is, this is kind of a long sequence to get through, but I'll just uh, go ahead and go over it here. But um, Burnham and Giorgio destroy the uh, drone that was monitoring them, and, and Giorgio kind of evil Mac- MacGyver's a uh, a weapon. You know, they can get one shot off on the Orion and take his uh, control device, and then they can they can free all the the workers. And you know, while they're uh, busy with with that, Book is going to kind of you know get uh, Rin and everyone ready to ready to make a run for it, get on a transport ship and escape. They have the black box ready to give to burnham and this this andorian tolor by the way i believe his name is tolor um he he takes them onto their ship onto book's ship he he's decided he's had enough of them he wants to get this dilithium that they they promised him 
And he, I like that, like, when he smacked Giorgio, I was thinking he would die in this episode. We don't see him get killed, but I was thinking, like, oh, man, you have, like, 20 minutes to live. Uh, but, you know, Giorgio kind of likes that kind of stuff, so don't feel too bad for she her. She really she's, likes that. She's probably stuff. into it, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, because that happened to her with the other guy who was also escaped, just like this dude, the skeevy dude yeah. in the uh, second episode. She is. She has lost her mojo, hasn't she? I mean, she... Like, letting these people I'm escape sure. just so yeah, they can come I mean. back and beat on her again because you know she's into <laughs> Good it grief. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> i guess i guess book was able to MacGyver together uh, a grenade or something because he, he drops a grenade they're uh fighting tolor on on the ship while while uh-huh. book and everyone is trying to make a run for it Giorgio has another catatonic episode at the worst possible time when burnham needs her to to shoot tolor and grab the, the control but she finally she finally comes to and Kicks, kicks him in the head, grabs the controller, drops the uh, the the bomb perimeter thing. Tolor beams away, but everyone is able to, to run to the transport. They have these uh, regulators. The 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 enforcers are are called regulators, and they're they're shooting at them. We have some Endorian on Endorian violence when Ren is shot, and I was so like worried that like he was gonna die. I was I was very relieved with what actually happens. But how cool mm. is that when? Giorgio and Burnham show up on Book's <laughs> ship, and they're just like that was amazing. Everyone. That was really awesome. Yeah, and, and now I love that. Now that they've shown how nasty these guys are, I don't, I don't feel conflicted when they're they're getting gunned <laughs> down like I did in the first episode. It is uh, pretty rare in Star Trek for the heroes to be shooting with a ship at people. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but uh, at the same time, I, I totally agree. It was a, it was a super awesome sequence. You know, it's a. As action sequences go, this was some very righteous payback and uh, very the, the the tech was really there for it. I also really liked that grenade explosion when uh, when Book uh, blew those dudes to pieces. I did. I was expecting when Book and uh, the Andorian are hiding behind that piece of broken wall um, that the bad guys would just dial up the setting on their little hand cannons and vaporize the whole wall they were hiding by. And I was just waiting for that to happen. And then it didn't happen. But I, I, I I'm going to just to assume yeah. that the, ba- uh, that my regulators Burnham blew them up before they had a chance to think of that. Yeah. Regulators is an old, is an old Westy kind of term. I, I, I like Regulator. it. It's uh, regulators. Yeah. <laughs> yes, whether you know it from uh, from Young Guns that it's sampled from in that song, or from that song, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, it, it was it was fun to see Book Ship do like cool like uh, I guess almost like I don't know I don't know how to describe when it like morphs and like reshapes itself. I like seeing the the future tech though. It should look uh, it should look more advanced than what we're used to in Star Trek. Yeah, I tried to rewind that scene several times to see how the ship reconfigures itself. It was cool. I liked I liked the whole thing. I like that it flies in. I like that it it doesn't always stay at the same kind of orientation. Like it flies in in a. It's totally like vertical to like fit through that alley between the, the, yeah, the buildings. Yeah, exactly. And it makes sense with like um, gravity. Uh, you know, uh, artificial gravity. It doesn't matter. Uh, it should work in another gravitational environment <laughs> yeah. as well. So it's really cool. I'm sure Lando Calrissian wishes he had that ship when he was making the Death Star <laughs> 2 run. <laughs> I'm sure he does. Uh, Giorgio doesn't get, you know, total revenge on Tolor. I guess he, like, runs off to his aunt, Osira, who I assume will will meet her eventually. Um, but, salvage this. Yeah, in the meantime, she's just like, salvage this, you son of a bitch, and destroys some of the his ships. That, that I had an interesting thought of. She is Giorgio, empress of the evil Terran Empire, 
is angry at the slavers for being slavers, as far as I can tell. She's not just yep. enjoying the destruction. She's right, actually it wasn't just angry. I, I, I think her. she's mad because he slapped her. Is uh, yeah, yeah. I, I joked around with, like her being like aroused by it, but I, but I think in actuality, I think that that would would piss her off. So I think I think that's why she called him a son of a bitch. Not that he was being mean to to his slaves. So so you think the satisfaction she all the satisfaction she expressed about trashing the place was purely revenge for the slap. Yeah, I think yes. I, well she kind of like didn't <laughs> like him from like the very beginning and I I loved how like how many insults she hurled at him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just nonsense. Well, like like right when they first met on the hologram and he's like no customers go to the Bajoran exchange and she's like I have real dilithium. He's like oh you have real dilithium and he's like rambling on about something and she's just like well, yells I'm like form a sentence. <laughs> yeah, but every other time we see her being uh, uh, attacking the place, there's the the, the 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 Orion guy is there to witness it, and it could all just be playing with his head. But that's the one time at the end where she's blowing up all the ships, where she's there's isolated. nobody but Michael to see her. So we're seeing a pretty honest take on what she feels about the situation. I think you Not could some be mind game something. she's playing with the bully. I don't think we'll know until we see more about what her flashbacks are, but it's it's possible, I think. Yeah, I just thought that she seems to be happy that she blew up these slavers who are essentially doing exactly what her empire probably did. Uh, you know. Yeah, but this is a this is an unworthy Orion. This this is Okay. She'd want to like destroy other slavers. She'd want their So so it's a racial yeah. thing. Okay, I can see <laughs> it's that. Like totally I thought about is. that. Sorry. I didn't consider racism. Yeah, admit, she's like she's racism. like no one is allowed to sit on thrones except for me. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but since we have introduced we have introduced the concept that uh, that it's possible that the the thing that was done to her might be causing having a, having an effect, and in that case, yeah. it may be something. Um, yeah, I, I did see a lot of people speculate about there being a Miranda class ship in this uh, episode, but there's not. I think people are talking about the when, when the uh, Hiawatha looking ship goes down. Yeah, um, there's, it, it looks a little Miranda-ish. It, it does, but it does like the square nacelles. I think it, that's the Nimitz class. It's the same as the USS Europa. But yeah, they, they do have very similar profiles. Just, want, just wanted to clarify that. But yeah, the um, these ships escape, and uh, Giorgio and Burnham and Book and Wren, all four go back to Discovery. Uh, Burnham confronts Giorgio about... The, you know what happened back there I, I saw something weird going on with you how long has this been happening uh Giorgio tells her so Dave like you mentioned I'm glad that they don't draw this out too long and and it's rare to see Giorgio vulnerable and compromised uh like this so I'm I'm actually like a little curious about this now I was upset last week when they threw in another mystery box but now like I'm I'm intrigued I want to see what happens well Burnham Burnham put it succinctly when uh she catches that you know it's it's extremely rare for Georgia to be off her guard and you know in, in any way vulnerable. And she said, "Hey, you're not in the Terran Empire anymore. Vulnerability is not a death sentence." And that's an interesting thing. Like as much as I think we are all enjoying watching Michelle Yeoh uh, walk around on people's necks and stuff, like in in general, <laughs> metaphorically, uh, it's it's also good to give her uh, as an actress something to something with some more weight to it, some more meat and depth. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I like seeing this. Yeah, I, I really did enjoy that scene and that, that concept. It's always, I mean, 
part of what good Star Trek should do is let you see these new civilizations and their points of view. And here we get a good look at, oh yeah, this person has a completely different viewpoint of, of vulnerability than even we do here in the 21st century, let alone people growing up in the 30, 23rd or 24th century. So uh, yeah, I, I thought that was really well executed. Um and I like that if we're going to have a damn mystery box, open it quickly. And it does look like it's opening a lot faster than they have in the past. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. And just in general, I do think the, as much as I've complained, uh, you know, I do think that the writing has gotten better this season. I agree. Um, a lot of the things I was hoping for from Michelle Paradise, I've already, you know, halfway through the season, I'm already starting to, to see that. And my biggest complaints tend to be, things that the first two seasons did and already kind of fatigued me with if this was the beginning of the show which i don't i don't think that would actually make sense because you kind of needed set up with the characters and stuff and a lot of people are saying like this should have been season one i'm saying like oh, this couldn't have been season one but you put that aside uh, uh, if this was season one a lot of those frustrations I, I wouldn't be as calloused as i am i wouldn't be as as fatigued with with some of these 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 uh recurring tropes or recurring habits like the mystery boxes for example so that's uh it's something that i'm I'm trying to you know ease up on the show and and give it a little bit of of slack especially when you know we get episodes like this one which i really enjoy and find very encouraging and you know we're only three seasons into discovery we will hopefully have the show around for many years to come it sounds like, you know, this is going to be at least uh, seven seasons, I think. So I'm hoping that the, uh, the you know, the future of Discovery, there's no reason to think it, it can't be, um, you know, even better than what we've, we've gotten with the show so far. As, you know, as much as it's kind of uh, changed and morphed over just three seasons, uh, I can't quite imagine what it might look like uh, after uh, in season seven. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, books especially... ship. It can just it can just reform itself. <laughs> yeah. Since uh, Burnham herself seems to be going through a sort of rapid evolution, not unlike the Genesis planet in Star Trek Three, uh, <laughs> and uh, w- it'll be interesting to see um, where that goes. I know we're not there yet as far as the episode goes, but that that actually intrigued me that they seem to be pulling a little bit away from the usual. Well, eventually everybody kind of comes back into Star Starfleet's happy embrace, and uh, and and you know that's the that's the end goal, and it seems like that might not be the end goal with her. Well, let's talk about like the I guess just wrap up the A story stuff with uh, with Burnham and Book and Giorgio. They do return to Discovery, Ren and Sick Bay. I was so happy. I wrote in my notes in all caps: "Ren lives!" with exclamation points. <laughs> I just I don't know why that made me so happy. It was just like he was just set up to be like the martyr. He's like, oh, there's the nice guy that we meet for a few minutes, and then he dies, and he's like the martyr character. But it's like like no, this is Star Trek. Like we not all the time, but a lot of the times we can save these people. I like that. <laughs> I like that. Like, yeah, like I that hope. And I, I deliberately, I perhaps unconsciously did not develop a strong emotional co- connection with the character because I felt he was cannon fodder from the moment we saw him. That this guy is just, just going to be sacrificed, and so I was actually very surprised when he made it to the end alive. And I was like, "Well, good on you for Star Trek for surprising me with uh, with these tropes." <laughs> I think I might. I didn't figure this out until now. I should have caught on to this, but. I think the reason why, like, I'm so uh, partial to this character is I like I like that he was like the resistance fighter. I like that he was he was the guy trying to like like organize and rise up. Yeah, that's a, that's a, a good well, hero to have. And he had, uh, even though he was around very briefly, he had a built-in arc, which was that he kind of went from 
resistance to being this kind of broken person to kind of finding that sort of spirit again. Um, I honestly, I, I was, I was outright annoyed and ready to be pissed at the cheesy trope of him having basically taking a bullet for book because it's such a, it's such a genre trope. And it's like one of my least, it's becoming one of my least favorite ones because I think like <laughs> a lot of things I can at least sort of picture happening in real life. I think it's pretty rare. Somebody leaps in front of a bullet and takes it for somebody else uh, in the real world. And, and so it's just, it's just kind of frustrating, but because he did live, I was, I was, for me, seeing this was more of a relief, like, oh, whew, I don't hate it, <laughs> then, mm. yay, but, uh, but that said, I am, uh, now, now that I think on it, I am excited to see where he's gonna end up. Does it bother you in Conscience of the King, when <laughs> Kodos the Executioner takes the hit to save Kirk? You know, that was, uh, that was before it was as big a trope as it's become, yeah, yeah. you know, we're talking... Yeah, we had seen that fewer times, well, none of us were alive in 1966, but audiences had seen that fewer times audiences have been like at the edge of their seat like oh no i thought kirk was gonna die oh my god (laughs) (laughs) even then probably it had still showed up and play and i bet more than a few westerns yeah so they'd be like aha i knew he wasn't gonna die oh my goodness about about rin though i think him like i thought he was gonna make meet the same fate as cal with another three-letter yeah uh, character and i was really pleased that episode two But I think Discovery's doing something interesting this season with all these, like, you know, I, I have to say that this is uh, definitely, for me, overall as a season, my favorite season of Discovery so far. I know we're only in episode six, but the reason is, is, like, we've seen more worlds, we've seen more new characters. Like, it's not, it doesn't feel so bodily and, like, in, just, like, in the Discovery anymore. It feels like the world has just gotten bigger. And that's what I wanted, like... Yeah, there, you know, there's I been think more that... memorable stories within these yeah, six exactly. episodes than and in characters, season one just or season so many, two. So many interesting characters that are, like, one-off characters or new characters. Like, Mr. Sawhill, we have the Admiral, like, we have, you know, we had Cal, we have the bad guy uh, played by, I forget his name, but he's a cool actor. Um, that The the first one, Giorgio, kicks his ass. But just so many, like... You know, even uh, even F boy nephew here, like there's just like a lot of characters, and I, I I like that a lot, and a lot of worlds and stuff like that. It's pretty cool. Yeah, they um, they're uh, <laughs> uh, Trek can, or, or Discovery can occasionally feel a little enclosed in that Battlestar Galactica way on the ship, where there's like you know really nice special effects, but here it's kind of interesting because they've been putting so much of their special effect worth work into settings you know whether it's shipyards or planets and things like that and there is more of a sense of getting some breathing room it it, it also might be budget too they might have you know increased the budget for this season um it does make me a little sad knowing what we know about season four where they said they're actually not going to be like running around shooting on locations because of uh covid but they got they got one of those AR screens, AR? like, like yeah, they use they on that. the yeah, yeah. in the other Star franchise. So uh, hope, hopefully, the the Discovery team can use that as well as John Favreau. Hopefully, they will write right to the strengths of what they have, rather than write. <laughs> hopefully, they haven't already written all the scripts, assuming COVID would be not be a thing, because mm-hmm. it's always awkward when you're writing stuff that you can't actually afford to put on screen. Yeah, then so. you got to do these last minute rewrites. Yeah, and uh, at our live audience, Michael Stutniak says yeah jesus fucking christ somebody go relieve sahil oh that's, that's funny um off off mic, the real estate station off off mic off camera uh me and dave just like 
a couple of hours ago were joking around about like no one's checked on us uh, uh Hill in, in a while like he's probably like he hasn't talked to anyone in a year it's been a year since like book and burnham were there so like he's he's still it's just like, like chilling kids, there at his desk it's like his kids won't call him uh i really liked him i, I hope he's not gone completely that that wasn't just for the sake of that episode i'd like to at least check in with him a few times <laughs> well what about this uh this turbo lift uh moment between burnham and book this is something that the audiences have been waiting for for a long time and then we get the, like that last minute <laughs> cock blocked by by linus beaming in you know, this is not the science lab <laughs> I'm so scared that Linus is going to beam out into space. <laughs> yeah, how has he not killed himself with that? I, I'm sure that the thing has all sorts of safety systems to prevent that yeah. sort of thing. And everyone should check out this week's Ready Room, because they talk about how these Tricom badges, they call them Tricom badges, I guess mm. Tricorder oh, yeah, Communicator cool. badge is a Tricom badge. I love it. But they, they, they actually thought out how the interface for the transporter would work. And yeah, they the, they the talked commands. about like you know sweeping up or sideways and yeah. what it all does. Oh, neat! I haven't oh, seen right. it. I can't wait to go see that now. How do they program the coordinates? You just you pro you pull up that menu and you program it ahead of time, or you can pull mm. it up and change it. So in that first episode, when Book was beaming all over that planet, running from the regulators, you know we were wondering like how is he doing that? Those must have all been like pre-programmed coordinates he had in his mobile transporter, uh. and they're just you know if if I need like an escape route, this is the way I'll go. Mm. Okay, so so it's not reading his mind. It's yeah. just uh, they, yeah, that was, that they, was you was can Brian's only be in some place that you've you've programmed in beforehand, effectively. Yeah. So. And you can actually pull up that interface, that holographic interface that I wish wasn't blue because they love making everything blue, all the displays and the holograms <laughs> and everything. But you you pull up that display and you can you can type in the coordinates, or you can have like a preset like home to return to, like you know back on yeah. your ship, and you just like double tap it. I think is the command. I, we see Saru do it at the end. I think. But, All right. uh, enough about com badges. People want to talk about the Let's the making sexy. out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I get the, the question of obvious question is of course why now after a year, um, and I think the most obvious answer is they had to be apart before they they could really get together. That's what I thought. Um, is everyone and, okay with this? Is everyone like this? I, I yes. I'm in favor of it. I'm fine with it. I love it. Um, People fall if, in love. <laughs> uh, unless Burnham is like going to to you know kind of go down a more asexual, more traditionally Vulcan when they're not in heat route, then yeah, I'm, I I would like to see her uh, be able to consummate her affection. Some action, she obviously yeah. has had crushes. I only I only wish they played the reunited song during this scene. Well, that would have been better. The reason why I ask <laughs> is because I thought audiences were generally in favor of these two hooking up. You know, I thought that like the the the, the chemistry was so strong. And just magnetic that I yeah. like I couldn't believe in an interview uh on, on Ready Room that um uh we, we found out that yeah, the, this actor actually never did a chemistry test with Sonequa Martin Green. It just mm. happened that this worked out so well. But our, our yeah. friend uh, Aaron Harvey, uh author of the the guide to the animated series novel, uh who who's appeared on Text Trek before, um I uh, had a conversation with him and he actually said that he didn't like this because he said not everything needs to be a romance and he wished that they just would have had like this cool platonic friendship like uh what what we see developed with 
Boimler and Mariner on lower decks, and he compared it to that, which I do I do like that friendship between Boimler and Mariner that we saw develop in the first season of Lower Decks. But uh, I, I don't want this to be the same as that. I guess, like, I wanted the romance here, whereas there I didn't. I feel like Michael's been through some shit. She deserves some 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 happy. Yeah. Especially so, if we're going to yeah. keep doing, like, emo Burnham, which it looks like we're going to keep doing at yeah, the end yeah, of this episode. And personally, I'm living vicariously through her because that's, like, <laughs> that's all I get. I did. My, 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 pers- my specific interpretation was probably... Book would have resisted hooking up with her when he knows that what she really wants is discovery and that when if she ever finds it, she might just run off and leave him. Mm. And then after she runs off and leaves him, she comes back. And now it's a whole different ball game because she's had she's been given the discovery. She still came back to him. That changes the framework, I would think, from his point of view a lot as to how deep he wants to get involved with her. Well, I also so. think when when someone saves your life, when you've just been through like as you know dangerous a situation as that was, that 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 sort of heightens everything. There's endorphins flying and all that. I no. kind of feel like they saved each other's lives over and over for the past year, though. I, I yeah, kind of feel like that's those ones. implied. This one was by the center. <laughs> Remember yeah. ISO seven? Yeah, exactly. You know, they, 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 there's constant references to previous shenanigans, but which is also so that's why I was like, what's writers, different? Then they could be like, you know, we have like the shorthand, and that's how they they know how to figure everything out because they've been through it. Uh, yeah. I also think it's nice to have like two friends become lovers. Like that's so rare. Usually they're and and you know they're like against each other and then they fall in love. Like that's the trope, right? <laughs> right. But it's a like heated two... thing and not something. That yeah, they, they did the best of both worlds thing here, where on screen they were a- 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 antagonistic and then they were romantically involved, but off screen there was a whole year in there where they got to be friends. So. Right. Have their cake and eat it for two. Well, and right. I'm sure we'll see much more of that in the episodes to come. Uh, let's take a moment now just to talk about all those character moments that were going on. Uh, meanwhile, back on the ship while Burnham was off on her adventure with Georgia, we had uh, Tilly and Grudge. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about that. We also had the uh, Tilly and, and Saru stuff where, where Tilly basically tells Saru like, yeah, you should go rat Burnham out to the Admiral. And <laughs> Saru does, he goes and basically says, yeah, my, my XO just ran off without permission. Uh, we also get Adira and gray uh, spending some time together and some Adira Stamets bonding. They, they upgrade his interface and in the spore drive cube. He gets those weird things off of his arms and, and we have some, some time between, uh stamets and colber which uh, i really liked i like seeing like colber kind of continue to be like the ship's counselor and also you know be a supportive uh partner so uh, what do y'all think about uh any of this stuff that was going on 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 the ship well i was just gonna say i think saru was actually wrong this time like i think that like he he if he had sanctioned i I think if he had sanctioned the mission everything would have been all this all good and like the admiral wouldn't have cared twice like he would have been just like okay you he shouldn't have, he shouldn't uh, he shouldn't have told her not to go at the very beginning we'll yeah. see that was the question i i spent a lot of time asking what was you know and i, I what, what to do in that situation and and well i don't know if i came up with a definitive answer i did find it interesting to run it through what the other captains in star trek probably would have done and i i think kirk would have just said all right i'm authorizing you to go on this mission but I'm he, not he said tell he needed her. To, he 
he thought he thought he would need her for the if they had to go to the yeah, yeah but let's be realistic can kirk go off and fight a space uh, yeah. fight a space battle yeah. without spock yeah i mean it'd be better with spock but he could <laughs> in a pinch he could do it yeah um I, I agree, and yeah. so i think kirk would have said go do it uh, and he'd wait till she's gone. Then he'd tell the admiral and just take the consequences because he's the goddamn captain and the buck stops here. And and we and we know Pike sent Spock. Let Spock go on his like you know crazy. Yeah, but the the ship the ship is only eighty eight people. Like they're they're yeah. not they're not at a full crew. Well, we don't they're, know if it's still eighty eight people. Well, yeah, well, I guess <laughs> we don't know like, that. But the, you know, we, we're yeah. we have a compromised ship at a, with yeah. in a compromised fleet. And yeah. it sounded like to me that they needed all hands deck if they were going to be called yeah. into action. I'm taking it on faith that when they say they needed that, that they needed that. Yeah, I mean, there's so many times where the ship, the similar situations where Janeway or Riker or Janeway or Picard or Kirk doesn't hesitate to send their first officer off to but go do the important But they're normally not thing. a compromised ship and a compromised fleet, with the exception of Voyager, but everyone yeah. else. I would have liked it better if if that happened and the discovery was actually dispatched to whatever the crisis was that the admiral was talking about dispatching her to, and then there was like it was way tougher because they didn't have Burnham for whatever reason. Yeah, yeah but but because that, that di- yeah, yeah because that didn't happen to me, I just feel like Saru was just butt hurt like he gets always. And I'm not saying Burnham was yeah. right. I think she was wrong too. I think she could have gone through channels a little better yeah. or done some more diplomacy or whatever. But at the same time, I just think Saru's always saying no. And he he could just let her go one time and see what happens. Well, I think this it's, was the fact that, the it's the fact that the last several episodes have had several sort of incidents of, of her like stomping on that um, just re- instantly right as she came back into yeah. the fold uh, that like, I'm like, and also he's had uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, George Al kind of uh, pushing back hard on him. So, uh, yeah, you know, Saru, like, there's the, the, the risk in writing him is that he become too by the book. Uh, but uh, I, 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 I am in here in support of Saru's position and yeah. his well, I, he's not as bad as he was him. in season one, where he was yeah. like, "No, torture this tardy, torture this party grade. Uh, go ahead and torture <laughs> it to death. I got to find Captain yeah. Lorca." Well, right. and, and I thought, you know, Chris uh, Kelvin Kirk would have just told her to sneak off and tried to keep the whole thing covered up from the end. Yeah, but y'all are missing the point. The point is he and, needs her. He Saru cannot go on this mission well, with, yeah, without what, her. For like, what? I didn't see what he needed I, I don't her see for. that. They don't see, justify yeah. that. No, but they tell yeah. us that. But it doesn't matter. It didn't happen. They 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 yeah. told instead of shown. <laughs> well, and, and and they also have Saru say Discovery is not compromised with her absence. Yeah, she he did, says he that say straight that. to the admiral. So yeah, if one statement counts, the other one has then, to. Yeah, count then, then it doesn't make sense. <laughs> Look, what about what about uh, Tilly and Saru having this conversation again? I brought this up a couple episodes ago, but I thought it was weird that this ensign is kind of the captain's uh, confidant. You know this. This isn't really written as like a captain and ensign scene. This felt a lot more like Cisco and Dax than Cisco and Nog. See, I thought he was asking her, isn't she still Michael's roommate? Yes. Or is that Which, not that doesn't make sense either because there's only 88 people on the ship. Burnham <laughs> is not only a senior officer, but she is the first officer. Why does she have to bunk with an ensign? <laughs> I assume they just decided they liked it. Uh, I, I assume at some point they must have said, you know, I... I... They were like, you know what really sucks is privacy. I want to sleep in the she's same the, room as someone else. She's supposed to have her own quarters. Are they, are they still sharing a room? Didn't we see yeah. Burnham's room and it was redecorated and stuff? Or was that was somewhere it? else? No, it was... It was uh, 
Tilly's room where, where Grudge was. Like, that's like oh, the room okay. they share, Maybe right? she just left yeah. Grudge with Tilly. And I mean, the obvious person to ask if she's gone missing is her roommate. Oh, maybe <laughs> maybe they have different rooms and she just, like, she didn't want the cat to be alone because, like, someone has to feed it. So she's... Yeah, I mean, I think he quarters. wasn't he wasn't consulting her in a... So much in a... there As a, you know, professional capacity as she was, like... As he was saying, hey, well, what's we, up? We've seen I, this before, though. We saw this a couple episodes ago. After he had, like, the bad Thanksgiving, and then Tilly came uh, in and kind of, like... And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm saying I'm just trying to wrap my head around it. You know, that I kind of want to see sure. her get promoted, actually. But, yeah, this yeah, is... Yeah, this, this is a Janeway and Tuvok scene, not a Janeway and Harry Kelm. Or this is, this is you know, Kirk and McCoy, not Kirk and, and Chekhov. Uh, yeah, uh, it's, yeah. It's I think I think Trek on the tube uh, is correct. He says they don't care about that bothery. It's all just a bunch of friends to the writers. And I do think that's <laughs> that is a, a fairly standard sort of. Uh, honestly, I felt them that they've been doing variants of that as far back as Star Trek Three was the one where it began to be, be become that. And, and I I think that that's largely right. But true. some people are going to be like some people tend to be like closer friends, you know, than than others. Or like uh, I I don't know. It's just like. Like Tilly doesn't seem like the Saru's colleague like that, you know. And I don't. She she's supposed to be like the younger, um, less experienced person. It is. It is also a, a show of it, it. Kind of undermines Captain Saru and his experience that he's not going to a more senior officer for this kind of advice. He is going to Tilly. It's like he's kind of going to the lowest ranking person, the least experienced, the one that needs most coaching and giving them like opportunities to give him advice i don't know it's a little it is a I don't little think he was asking for advice she just like volunteered they... the advice yeah she's maybe the it's... one who perhaps overstepped her bounds but and maybe there's a question as to why tilly yeah. is willing but he, to give he's, advice he's to receptive you know he's and I, i'm not saying that as a criticism that he's he's receptive yeah. but yeah i'm just that's just an observation i'm making and there's the Burnham factor. Like, Tilly is the closest to Burnham, so it does kind of make sense that he would... He'd go talk to her friend. Yeah, he no, would that makes sense. Her, but I'm just... So this is a precedent. Fact. This is a precedent that they've that they, they've set. I do think it'd be kind of cool if they, during the course of the season, uh, or maybe, like, in the finale or something like that, that, that we did see Tilly get promoted. It'd be kind of a nice sense of the characters evolving, uh, and it would make, you know, it would sort of assuage the strangeness of, you know, her as confidant to... Um, uh Saru. Well let's talk about the uh the Grey and Adira stuff that leads into the Adira and Colber stuff and then the Colber and or I'm sorry, Ad- Ad- Adira and Stamets stuff, and then it goes into Stamets and Colber. But yeah, I was happy to see Grey again. I like I like this uh this uh teenage romance that can it can live on. Uh, I, I love this whole chain of of scenes. This this uh, Gray and or Adira and Stamets and 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 you know every little link all the way through it. I loved all of those scenes. I I did like that the show seemed to be taking a stance that weird relationships are okay, even if it's with your dead boyfriend. That that's okay, and I hope they stick to that. I I think that would be more fun than the more probable. Okay, you have to let go of your dead uh, your dead boyfriend so that you can move on in life. You can't, and I, you know, I was like, do you have to in this? Yeah. Sense? No, I, 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 yeah, I say run with this, run the, run with this for a little bit. I like it. You know, um, in, in in like Marvel comics, you know, where Thor is a god, it's kind <laughs> of it's kind of cool when sometimes the comics or the movies remember that people, yeah, that this is going to kind of change how you think about things if there's a god running around or some version of a god, and likewise Stamets, after all, he's seen. 
uh, is kind of a there's more things uh, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. Uh, it's like is the life he's actually lived. He has seen some stuff, and so death becomes a spectrum and not a binary. It's kind of like that sci-fi thing, or you know, they say like, well, in science fiction, no one's ever really dead. You know, like we can bring Tasha Yar back, and you know what? Sure Gray, Gray's one of the characters I was most excited about uh, leading up to the premiere of the season. Uh, and while I loved all the Stamets, Adira, and um, uh, Culber stuff here, I like their dynamic. I like how like Stamets is kind of adopting Adira, and like how Adira is so brilliant and was able to like get the the shunts off of his arms. And yeah, I like the nano gel like, upgrades and all that stuff. The nano gel I'm is having cool. a lot of trouble with Gray, and I don't. It's just a personal thing, but I'm just done with the ghosts like relationships and the dead people that come back to life and it's like but he, he's it's not really, really kind of dead he's like he like lives on I don't in her know mind what's going, i know but it's kind of pertur- I, it's just something about it perturbs me it's a personal thing i'm not saying it doesn't work it's just <laughs> perturbing me like, you know what's stay away from my role-playing games they clearly uh, you know indicated stand at stamet said something like you know you're did he say you're holding on to uh, a memory or something like that yeah, or, yeah. but 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 clearly that uh you know even more than that is going on when uh, when Gray says let's make some new memories. Uh, that is, a, you know, this is clearly not just some <laughs> ghost who will be there to advise you. This is someone who wants to live a life with you. Yeah, right. And yes. and, and I wish that uh, to speak to what you're talking about, Starfleet boy, is I would like for them to like. Well, a ghost is going to have a hard time making new memories. Doesn't I presume have a daily life other than stalking the person <laughs> that that <laughs> right. is grounded in reality. And so I'd like it if they somehow address that, you know, if there's, is there a way for kind of Gray to have experiences, you know, could they watch a movie together? Yeah, of course. What? I'd like sure to see they more watch than, a movie together. I'd like to see a little bit more than just generic, <laughs> supportive, I love you, let's do things together. I, let's go ahead and see him doing some things together. I mean, it must be awesome. You've always got a player if you want to run a get role-playing game. You know? uh, <laughs> scheduling will be so much easier. Um I do think what uh, uh, the obvious gimmick that I want to see at some point this season or next is the is the episode where Adira lets Gray run the body for a while. Mm. But um, I think that could be a fun episode, which I I hope I, I assume they thought of. I I, I I I don't know if they need to run it out this season, but I think it would be a great what thing to do at some point. That's always so. fun for the actor to play their yeah you know like play play that person's do that person's yeah. manners. It's cool. I like those. Fathery, uh, to, to go back to the sort of the, the broader question of like, did we like these scenes and all that? And this kind of comes around to the two of, to Colburn and Stamets talking is, uh, I really liked Stamets. Uh, well, first of all, I wanted to compliment Anthony Rapp's portrayal uh, in yeah. those scenes. I thought there was a lot of subtle internal acting going on, watching stuff on his face as he kind of let down his guard deliberately for her. Um, and, and I really liked watching him as watching the character in those scenes and i liked him being supportive uh in the way that he was and i really loved that culber very clearly recognized why he was supportive or like what particularly brought it out in him yeah. it was cool yeah that was all great stuff this whole scene here yeah. was awesome yeah and, and dave i know like before discovery even premiered you and i talked about the things we wanted to see in this new star trek show the first star trek show since 2005 and one of the things that you asked for was a um, you wanted to see like a stable couple, persistent like, relationship. Like a, a, yeah, yeah, like a. a I wanted a to see it where they couple, weren't. Like, yeah, always talking about their relationship and like, oh, you know, just sort of like 
whatever the the Lo- Lois you know, and Clark like, from Superman comics. It's kind of like the gold standard. I think I think like you and I you and I mm-hmm. talked about. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like right. we have that. I feel like we have that with Colbert stand. Yeah, they are able to talk about a variety of different things. They experience life together as a couple and not. As as in, just as individuals, even uh, though even do, though the Stamets is bonding with Adira is very much like inspired by his relationship with Colbert, uh, because they he does mention that yeah it was about like she's someone who who loved someone who is dead but not really gone and no one else knows what that's like except for me. Yeah, I like that they. I also like that they. They didn't go the obvious route for putting all the LGBT characters together. They found some other new, different reason for them to hang out and have conversations other than their sexuality. So I thought that was a nice touch. In general, like, they've they've yeah. been, uh, I think, pretty savvy about. Yeah. You know that 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 it is in the future that that is just completely unquestioned, and characters will bounce off of each other and interact with each other. As people, as, as, as uh, more than anything. Yeah, yeah, they, they treat it yeah. as totally unremarkable, which I think is is actually a pretty accurate yeah. way of how the, the real world sees a, a lot of this, you know, largely. Or I guess, you know, depending on who you are and what part of the world you live in. But well, I, I think that's a lot I mean, of people's it's the, perception. It's, it's the goal that eventually it's no big deal. Um, yeah. Well, let's talk about this ending Uh when Burnham has to face the drums, uh, Admiral Vance. I really, I really liked Admiral Vance here. He he grew on me in this scene, but the way that he kind of handles this, um, you know, he he says that you know this mission was one hundred percent rogue, um, but you know you did get results. Uh, he also says he might have even approved yeah. it had they come to him again, mm-hmm. raising the specter of maybe they didn't necessarily need Michael it, I, on discovery. I liked his, <laughs> I liked his, his kind of command style here where like, instead of just like chewing her ass out, he's like, okay, tell me what I'm going to say. And Burnham's like, yeah. oh yeah, you're, you're going to tell me that, you know, like you don't have the luxury of pursuing all these, you know, little investigation things that I want to do. You have a hundred fires to put out. And you know, like, I like the way that like he told, like instead of him telling that to her, He's like, you understand this. It was a very clever way to do some sort of, uh, to do a scene that's somewhat familiar, the boss chewing out the employee uh, (laughs) without uh, without doing it. And like, because she had to to deliver it with this kind of recognition of her culpability and failings, uh, it it had extra weight. It wasn't just him being an asshole. It was her kind of coming to terms with what she had done. It was hard on her when he said... um, you know, I know you're the one who like went through that wormhole and saved everything, but as far as I'm concerned, you were just doing your job that day. And you know, you don't you don't get any <laughs> extra points with me for doing that. And I was like <laughs> I was like, damn, that's like that's that's cold to say that, but I get it. Like I understand where he's coming from. And and then when she says permission to speak and he's like, It better be the best thing I've ever heard. <laughs> like I like I like everything about it. Can we him buy here. it? Was it the best thing he'd ever heard? I don't think it I don't think it was, but it was acceptable. No, because then like he like, walks away. He basically like walks away. He's like, sorry, you handle this. You you, you discipline. <laughs> but but that's when she says, like, look, like I believe the Federation cannot recover until we figure out this mystery. And that's why it's yeah. so important to me. I think they, the the sentence that was missing that was implied was whoever did this could do it again. And until we can safeguard that, what are you know, what are this house of co- house we're building could get knocked down again. And I think that was kind of the 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 it's implied by what she says, but I, I think it could have been em- emphatically stated, perhaps uh, would have made her case stronger. Thematically, though, 
thematically, I think it ties into the larger idea of the season about like trauma, about like recovering from your trauma. And I think part of that is like under, we have to understand the burn and, you know, we have to like explore this bad thing that happened to us and process it and understand it in order to move on. I think thematically that's the, the kind of like the, the, the message or like the, the mission logs thing with, you know, the morals, messages and meanings of Star Trek. I think, I think that's, I think that's what we're doing with Disco season three. It's about uh, going through trauma and recovering from trauma. No, that, that's a good point. I really like that. That, that, Yeah. Well done. (laughs) Um, I did think it was ironic that it, they probably could have waited a week to rescue book and it wouldn't have made much difference. <laughs> another week of been a week breaking metal, yeah. <laughs> but they didn't know that Michael had no knowledge that, that, well, no, that, that actually, waiting a week there was, was a ticking option. clock. Cause he was about to get like transferred up to those ships and he would have been away from his, where he hid the black. Oh, box. is that what he was saying? Yeah. There was this one line he says about a ship and I couldn't understand what it was. Mm. And the subtitles literally would just flick by so fast. I couldn't read the subtitle and I tried pausing and it just minimizes the, the video. So you can't read the subtitle <laughs> that way. I, you know, the, okay. The other ticking clock, of course, is someone's got to feed grudge and then Tilly is clearly not up for it. I'm sure Michael would have made sure. I've, I've been in her no, no, shoes before. Like I'm, I've been in her shoes. Like I'm not a cat person, but I've had, like cat sat for friend for friends before. Yeah. And it's like, it is frustrating. Like the cat won't do what you want it to do. Like, <laughs> you're, you end up just being like, I don't like you. Come out from under that bed. That, that's not my experience at all. I, I, yeah. I enjoy the fact that they're unpredictable, but I like it too. Um, the uh i i i really liked the whole scene between well the admiral and and michael and saru and how that all played out and acted as acted as a capper i don't think michael would if michael had a time machine i think she'd still if if saru had given her the same options that lack of options that he did before i think she still would have stolen the ship even knowing how everything turned out i i think i don't think I don't think Michael is feeling like I did the wrong thing. I don't think that she's feeling she, that at I all. I mean, like she cries way too much when she's like getting like this I, emotion here. She well, broke Saru's I think she trust. might feel she did the right thing, but that the right thing, uh, like she she took on the first officer role when she shouldn't have. She made promises mm. she couldn't have. Uh, she and Saru specifically mentions he wanted to sort of return to things as they were. And I don't think she says it but in so many words, but I think it's clear that she wanted some of the same. She wanted to, you know, she considers Saru a friend as well as her superior Yeah, she officer. hurt her friend. She betrayed yeah, her Yeah, she hurt her friend, if nothing else. I think she recognized she failed on that level. Yeah, but I, I think she still would go do it all again, even if it meant hurting Saru again, because... Yeah, she's not going to let Book die. She's, I'm trying to figure where the where do you guys think that they want to take her as a character arc? Uh, I don't know. Like I don't she... know, and I'm I, I'm scared. I'm I, this is the what makes I like this episode, but I'm nervous going forward. I don't want more like emo Burnham. Like I want her. I I want her to uh, to be fixed. I want her to be happy. I enjoyed her being happy. These previous episodes, I really liked her not being miserable. And now I'm going to be miserable if we get miserable Burnham again. <laughs> well, I think, you know, she, she, she's, you know, I don't think anybody loves the idea. Neither she, uh, between she and Saru, of her just just being science officer. I think uh, she might be a better fit for her. I don't know if she's the first officer's aspect is really something she's all that plugged into. I think she, uh, she clearly became uh, like a, like, I half wonder if they like want to have her as like, you know, like, uh, 
book and and she as like almost like guides to the enterprise that you know accompany them as like guides like they're the rangers or something right, like that right. are they gonna be and, on a different but like, show but, but freelancers are they gonna be it's on kind of like a redo for her the because she <laughs> she was the first officer for at least a few years on the shanzhou uh if i'm not mistaken yeah. And so this is kind of like probably frustrating for her. I I think she should. I honestly think she should not have so easily given up the captaincy, the idea of being captain of the. Well, um, I think discovery. she's gonna figure out the burn and get redeemed, and then they're gonna make her captain. We'll see. <laughs> I, I hope, I hope that's not what happens. But I like Captain Saru. They're not gonna take it away should... from Saru. I think. I, I think eventually they eventually they want Burnham in that captain's seat. Like Sonequa Martin Green said that a couple uh. of years ago. Maybe if Saru dies, and they, I could see that happen, or he gets uh, captured. I think he might get captured or disabled, or you know, in some way, like right, and she'll have to be the captain. When they gave her the line where she said, "It's always been you," that's not something you do if you're planning on taking it back. Yeah, I think she was just a little. I th- I think she was wrong to say that. Yeah. Like, I do, I do think that. Um, I do think that it would be okay if either Saru stayed on the Discovery or Saru got a new ship. Like maybe Saru gets why? Why would you here, split up your crew? You know? Like why would you divide your popular characters? Because it characters? happens. Sulu goes off and gets his own ship. Like I that happened after twenty five un- years of stories. I know, of but I think it's actually. That, I think crew. that's actually uncommon. I think in the real in in a real kind. I think yeah, in, in the real world it would happen. But in Star Trek, Riker stays <laughs> as Picard's first officer for fifteen <laughs> years longer than he has. I wonder to. if there's anything that could be done. So say she she resolves the burn. She ends up in uh, captaining. What if she ended up like captaining another ship? Would it be too weird to have partnered ships? You know, the vibe of a buddy cop thing, but two relatively small hundred person. Yeah, ships? that would be weird That's... for a show called Star Trek Discovery to be like Discovery, and also the uh, I don't know. Uh, Discovery you... still is a concept. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't have to be just the name of the ship. It's also a concept. It should be though. I I don't know. I wouldn't like that. But uh, I'm just throwing I it mean, out as like uh, you know uh, uh, some uh, because I don't know where they're going. I don't know quite why they they made a very deliberate point that you know like when they did those episodes where she was you know where she's been kind of breaking from Saru and being kind of d- doing these rogue operations. They did it so that they could drive this wedge between them, and they they must have some end goal in mind. It's kind of cool to not know exactly what that end goal is. You know, it would be level... cool if I had more faith in it not being something <laughs> bad. But yeah, I think it's going to be something dumb like, oh yeah, she figures out the burn and then for some reason like Saru's compromised and then he's like, I know you said it was always me, but I think you actually meant that about yourself and you know that you're the one to be captain and then she becomes the captain and then everyone on the bridge stands up and claps and like the music swells and it's like a close-up of Michael crying. And it goes on for like five minutes. <laughs> I don't see it happening. I, 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 I'm gonna, I'm, I'm a hundred percent sure that won't happen, Father. Okay. Uh, I, 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 I certainly don't want that to happen. I don't want it to happen yeah, either. I'm just saying, like that, that is a fear of mine. Yeah. Who, who's gonna be the new XO? Who, I mean, the new XO is gonna probably gonna be Lieutenant Nelson because they keep putting her yeah. in the captain's chair, and I'm even like, this doesn't really make sense. She hasn't been on the bridge as long as any of these other lieutenants, and there's also like some commanders. So uh, yeah, I think it'll either be Lieutenant Nelson or possibly Lieutenant Willa, who is also a security officer. But she might become she might become Non's replacement. She might be like security, and then Nelson mm. will be the XO. But yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think that makes sense to put put her there. I think. Uh, uh, I don't know. Like, I think they should do something like really unexpected, like make Colbert the first officer or something. I don't know. <laughs> Does EXO stands for executive officer? 
Yes. Uh, XO, yes. Uh, or or they could do like their chief engineer and just keep it ambiguous for a whole season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll find out. Um, but yeah, uh, because the only other thing I wanted to comment on was like, Saru basically said like, yeah, you probably weren't the right one to be XO, but I wanted like a return to normalcy. And uh, yeah. it's an important thing to talk about now. Like everyone want, is, talks about a like, return to normalcy. I want things to go back to normal. Like I want to act like there's no pandemic, even though there totally is. And uh, you know, be careful not to like uh, kill grandma at Thanksgiving because yeah. you wanted things to be normal and you infect her with COVID. But whatever. Yeah, no, the the nostalgia is wonderful, but but it, yeah. it, it can be it can trap you and in a normalcy is not always a good thing. Like people are like. Yeah, I don't want, like, this weird orange guy who's always going crazy on Twitter to be president. I want, like, a normal president. And so we get, like, a normal president who is like, oh, yeah, he has uh, an apologist for putting kids in cages on his transition team. But, you know, let's let's not talk about that because it's, like, normal. And we're happy it's normal. So, yeah, the, the return to normalcy can be a, can be a, a, a very uh, unintentionally evil evil. Well, I, I think in this case, you can't go back to normal. That, I think, is the lesson of this show. You're enjoying yeah. this thematically, then, because they they portrayed the return to uh, normalcy as a... Uh, Not necessarily a good thing, yeah. That kind of yeah. fell apart, yeah. Yeah, you can't you can't go home again. Yeah, that, 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 yeah, yeah I like that, it. That I like that. The message. Um, yeah, I guess uh, that's pretty much everything. I'm just going to run through this list of Gorn eggs. These are all the... Easter eggs, in-jokes, and continuity connections I found within the episode. If I missed anything, uh, be sure to let me know. But um, I'll just start from the top at the beginning of the episode. We uh, do meet a Captain Bondra who commands the USS Le Guin. Uh, We can assume that's named after the science fiction novelist uh, Ursula Le Guin, who just died uh, two or three years ago. She wrote the Earthsea series and the Left Hand of Darkness and... Uh, a, a bunch of other stuff, a very prolific uh, author. The uh, scavenger camp um, was located near Bajor, I think. They mentioned the, the nearby Bajoran exchange, so that's cool to mention uh, Bajor and uh, show some love to uh, our, our friends from Deep Space Nine, the Bajorans. Uh, they, they also they also mentioned there that the workers uh, came from uh, Giorgio suspected a place called Marinjira, or also Beta-6. Uh, in the original series, there is a Federation colony on Beta-6, which is where the Enterprise was going in Squire of Gothos before it detoured to go deal with uh, Trelane's bullshit in that episode. While shopping around, or pretending to be shopping around for scrap, uh, Georgiou says that she's looking for the self-sealing stem bolts, uh, which was a, a recurring joke item from Deep Space Nine, uh, so I, I was very happy to hear that first introduced in the DS9 episode, Progress. Also, the Endorian uh, shows her a, I guess at this point, a vintage Starfleet Type 2 phaser. It was the uh, design that we saw in the 2370s. There's a bowl of badges that had some of like the Discovery badges. There's also like some like uh, Deep Space Nine Season 3 generations voyager badges in there there's a klingon badge with like the klingon insignia that was cool to see when the admiral is talking to lieutenant willa they mentioned that the starship kuahoga was brought up last week it was undergoing a baryon sweep Uh, that was something established in tng in the episode starship mine when they have to remove the baryon particles from a ship 
Uh, we get a shitload of planets that pop up on these displays in the Starfleet HQ that, you know, familiar planets that they've, they've established before. There's, uh, we, we see the names of planets like Talos from the cage, uh, Beta Niobe, where that, that star went Nova in all our yesterdays. Uh, Camus 2, that was the setting of the last TOS episode, uh, Turnabout Intruder, and then they mention it again in Legacy, the episode of TNG with Yara's sister, because that was the 79th episode of TNG, so it's like we've passed the original series, so they're like, we went past Camus 2, was the episode of, that was the planet from that last episode of TOS. Uh, there's a, a planet Q from Conscious of the King, Orion, a, a bunch of them, I don't want to go into all of them, but what, one thing I did want to point out is in Admiral Vance's office we get like a really good look at a star chart and we see things like ferengi territory cardassian zone klingon zone the emerald chain territory seems to take place where like the romulan empire used to be so uh, romulan star empire uh you know picard kind of implied it wouldn't really be a thing in the future but the emerald chain basically occupies what used to be romulan territory and it's the like a official star chart uh, you know, that, that's kind of like been used in like Star Trek online and stuff. There's like, I guess, you know, after all these, these years of it popping up on these displays, it's pretty canonical. Um, we, we even see like where the HQ, where the Starfleet HQ is located. It's kind of like in between earth and deep space nine. It's kind of like in that, uh, Western corner of, uh, you know, what would have been the Federation space in the 24th century. Very cool. Oh, and there's also yeah. a Starbase 47, is now canon. That was a setting of like the Vanguard series of novels. So we had like a, a Starbase 47. But yeah, th- those are all of the Gorn eggs I spot. If I missed anything, um, people in, in our in our audience, people, our listeners should uh, point them out to me and I'll give you credit for it next week. Woohoo. But yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty much all we have uh, today. So we're, we're going to get ready to sign off. But if you're checking us out live, you should hop on over to Starfleet Boy's channel in about 30 minutes because we're going to kick off Starfleet Boy After Dark. Uh, Starfleet Boy, what are, what are we talking about tonight? Uh, we're talking about Star Trek Discovery some more if we want to and, of course, uh, The Mandalorian and just about anything else. By the way, the episode is called Starfleet Boy After Dark Chapter 12, directed by Carl Weathers. Nice. <laughs> and we will be back uh, next week, as always, at 7.30 p.m. Central to discuss next week's episode of Star Trek Discovery, uh, which uh, is one that has like a very exciting title. It is Unification 3. So in, in TNG, we had Unification 1 and Unification 2. Those were the episodes about Spock trying to reunite the Romulan Empire and the Vulcan people. So speaking of what happened to the Romulans, Brian, I know you're going to be really excited to see this because you are like well the, it, the official it might undermine my role-playing game which I'm is sure along similar lines but i'm very interested that's, that's I the price you pay be... for running games that take years to wrap up it sounds like yeah this is true <laughs> uh, but yeah you're, you're the, uh, the biggest uh you're like a vulcanoid historian at this point you're like a like an official like romulan vulcan expert yeah, no, I I'm, will be paying very close attention to this episode. I'm very curious. <laughs> lots lots of uh, goodness coming down the pike. And yep. until next time, as always, live long and prosper, y'all. Listen to the Text Trek podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at text-trek.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash text-trek. And follow Fathery on Twitter at TXTrek. 
Please support us by liking our videos and subscribing to our channel on YouTube. Thank you and take care.